You're listening to a sermon from Together Church in Hobart. We're a place to belong and a place to explore belief in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more about our missional communities, please visit togetherchurch.com.au. Okay, well, look, the sun is going down. It's nearly the darkest day of the year. And I thought I'd actually talk a little bit about this because I think it relates a lot to our topic today. You know, like the Dark Mofo Festival, it's all around us. It's on throughout our city right now. And the city is covered with crosses, as I'm sure we've seen, uh, littered with religious iconography in the celebration of sex and death. And look, the tagline of Dark Mofo this year is, Come to the Cross. And it's interesting, I looked at the Dark Mofo website and they said, uh, at, on the front page it says, Just like Jesus willingly suffered and died for the world, bringing light to the darkness, so Dark Mofo will bring light to the world in dark times. Now I'm not sure that it's quite theologically correct, I'm not convinced that Jesus would actually agree with that statement. Uh, However, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Our religious kind of worldview is still shaping us. And uh, what is similar between Dark Mofo and the message of Jesus is that both are addressing or seeking to address the deep questions of humanity. They're seeking to address the questions of sex and death, sex represented by the cross and, and death, uh, the X and then, and then death represented by the cross. Uh, and so Di- David Walsh is incredibly culturally aware. He recognises that humans and Tasmanians, Aussies are looking for answers to the big questions in life. What do we make of sex and how do we deal with death? Uh, now God's answers are not the same as what we find in this festival, uh, but the questions are the same. And so look, 20 years ago, and this is, you know, this is related. 20 years ago, I found a postcard. And I saw it in Adelaide, I think, at a cafe. And I snapped a photo because it made, me, it made me laugh. But I've thought about it for a long time since. And it tracks the trajectory of human life uh, in a very simple way uh, and in actually quite a funny way, in a silly way. So uh, we start off at the beginning of life. And this is what we think about. Sex, 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 sex. And what the comic is trying to say is not just sex, obviously. It's everything around sex and sexuality. So it includes love and relationships, uh, exploring our masculinity or our femininity, and uh, developing a healthy sexual identity, etc. You know, everything's about sex. Uh, and then as we grow up, we realize that not only do we need sex, but we also must pay the bills. So then we end up with sex, sex, money, <laughs> sex. Uh, and then we continue to uh, money, money, sex, uh, money, money, money. Uh, money, toilet money, money, toilet, toilet, and eventually, as life moves towards death, <laughs> we think about toilet, toilet, toilet. Um, I, I'm so not looking forward to that stage when there's more funerals than uh, weddings, but I'm rapidly approaching toilet, toilet, toilet. Um, and, and I'm, yeah, they, <laughs> you might be one step ahead of me. Anyway, um, I'm currently in my mid-40s, so I reckon I'm around money, 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 which means that my life is pretty much taken up by you know, work and career and thinking about paying the bills and raising kids. But as I said, uh, very soon, I'm sure, I will need to be thinking about the things that lead towards death and toilets. Now, is it possible, uh, Beck, is it possible to see the slides? I can't see them. That would be great. Thanks. 
Okay, all jokes aside, we are in a series called Longing for Love, and it's a series about love and sexuality and a series about gender. And we've been building an argument to explain the biblical view on sex and sexuality, starting with the foundation that God is love and building on that, and then moving through a series of really foundational questions because uh, unless we can build a foundation, we can't understand the answers to the questions that our culture is asking and answering all the time. Uh, and the questions we've been exploring are, what is love? What is freedom? What is sex and sexuality? Uh, what is gender? What is marriage? What is singleness? And they're the questions we've been going through. And today we're up to, uh, what is sex? We'll be talking about, uh, what is the purpose of sex? Uh, does God have an opinion about how we use our bodies? Uh, how is the physical act of sex connected to our emotional selves and our spiritual selves? Really, really important questions. And this is, look, a huge, huge topic, and I'll only be scratching the surface of what we could talk about today. Uh, and I would, therefore, implore you to listen to some of the podcasts and different talks around the place on our website, uh, and also read further on the subject. There is a book, and I've got one copy at the back just to have a look at. Uh, I quite like this. This is Loveology by John Mark Comer. He takes theology and makes it simple, and I think it's pretty good for an overarching view about what is sex and how do we understand sex uh, and culture and faith. Okay, and as I mentioned before, just for those who are listening, uh, it is a 12-plus talk. We'll talk about things that are more appropriate for older children, older kids, teens, and adults. All right, point one. The Bible has a really positive view about sex. And I think it's really important to start with this beautiful, life-giving, positive view that God has about our sex and our sexuality. Uh, people often say that uh, the, all the Bible says about sex is don't. You know, don't sleep around, don't marry a non-Christian, don't view porn, don't have sex before marriage, don't, 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 okay? And look, while these messages are actually biblically true, uh, it's not the emphasis at all of Scripture. And Scripture has a remarkably positive, vibrant, life-giving, reality-aligned view about sex and sexuality. Uh, look, I have a friend, Alan Hirsch. Uh, he's a theologian and an author, and he once started a wedding speech uh, like this, <laughs> with this question. Who do you think invented the orgasm? Now, if you want to uh, be noticed at a wedding speech and get people to pay attention, that is how you start a wedding talk. But seriously, who invented the orgasm? The answer that Alan gave, and I hope we would give as well, is God did. Yeah? God invented the orgasm. And, and actually, that, that's a really interesting question because, you know, Yahweh made our sex organs. He made our nerve endings. He made bodily fluids. He made pleasure. And he made us to enjoy one another sexually. Uh, we might feel a bit uncomfortable with that idea, but it wasn't invented by the devil, was it? Um, and, uh, and because of this beautiful, pleasurable, ecstatic experience that God wants for us, it actually says something about the God we worship. Uh, he's a God who wants us to love one another, to enjoy life, to experience pleasure, uh, and to, to experience the beauty of life. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, he's the God of lovemaking, which is pretty nice. Um, so the Bible has a positive view on sex. And we see this in the Scriptures. Okay, So this is, uh, the Scriptures find this way of, um, I mean, it's an ancient text, okay, but it has this way of, 
of describing sexual intercourse and sexual acts in a way that is descriptive but not crass. And I really love that about the scriptures. Okay, And so um, the biblical authors find this way of speaking about it. So uh, Psalm 19, 4 to 5, we read, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing. Okay, so the context is basically this is about a husband and a wife who have had sex on their wedding night uh, and then the husband comes out of his chamber in the morning and it's like a sun rising with strength and vitality and energy. Basically, he's really happy. It was a good night. And that's, and that's what the psalm says. You know, we don't blush. Um, now, when you look at the most raunchy book in the Bible, the Song of Songs, uh, the whole book is just about sex and relationship. It's about eros love, okay? Uh, and these are a few of the lines in this raunchy Old Testament book. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your lips like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. I think these are fawns. Uh, that browse among the lilies. Uh, you know, and then God says to these lovers, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. It's really interesting because God is speaking to a bride and a groom and saying, go enjoy lovemaking. <laughs> Um, it's beautiful. It's rich. It's in the Bible. There's a whole book about these fawns. <laughs> and it's remarkable. Uh, there's a very positive view about sex in marriage, and the Bible says it is very good. Very, very good. So that's our foundation. Unfortunately, the church has not always held the view of the Bible. In fact, the, the, the church at particular times in history have, have done a terrible job of upholding this beautiful, rich, life-giving view of human sexuality that we see in the Scriptures. And they've fallen for a heresy. Now, a heresy is a word for a false doctrine or a false belief. They've drifted from what God says about sex and sexuality, uh, and they've led into something called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is a name for a false belief, and it basically means that there's a spiritual world uh, where you have kind of spiritual things and, and God exists, and then you have a material world or a physical world. So our body would be part of that world, uh, and that's separate. So the body and the spirit are disconnected, and they're separate from one another instead of them being intertwined and like this. That's called Gnosticism. Okay, And ancient Gnosticism believed that the body was bad. The world was bad, the body was bad, and the spirit was good. It was very simplistic. And therefore, spiritual leaders uh, would encourage us to hurt their bodies, deny themselves, deny their sexuality in order to get closer to God. Okay, Now, this is an image here of Simon the Stylite. I really like that name. He sounds like an influencer. Si Simeon, sorry, Simeon the Stylite. He lived for 37 years on a one-meter platform, 15 meters up above the ground. What a nutter. And he denied his food, body of food, except for the occasional piece of bread that little boys would climb up the pole and give him. Uh, he denied himself physical affection, warmth, uh, personal touch, and it was to get closer to God. And he was considered a saint at the time. Uh, but what's interesting is that his denial of people, 
of warmth of the body, of relationships, is totally different than how we see Jesus. Okay? Jesus, what was he accused of being? Can anyone remember? A glutton and a drunkard. Okay? He was accused of being someone who ate too much and drank too much at parties with all the wrong people. Uh, and he's our model. I don't know how you end up on a one-meter platform denying your body and saying the only way to God is by hating your body and hating the material world. It's called Gnosticism, not Christianity. Does that make sense? Uh, and that Jesus expresses his spirituality in this beautiful, integrated way, uh, which expre- expressed the beauty of life. Uh, here is another example about how the church has been Gnostic in an unbiblical view of sexuality. So the church has taught that sex is vile and disgusting, even in marriage. Okay? Uh, I found a book written in 1894 by Ruth Smithers, the wife of a Methodist church minister. And she wrote a treatise, some advice to young women, uh, and it paints another Gnostic view of sex from you know, the early uh, 1894. Uh, basically, she says that sex is ungodly and vile and you should avoid it except for having children. It's not what you see in the scriptures. Okay, now I found this book. This is, this is her book. It's been remastered and it's now called Sex Tips for Husbands and Wives from 1894 um, by the dear uh, Ruth Smithers. And uh, let me read a bit, okay? Um, to the sensitive young woman who has had the benefit of a proper upbringing... The wedding day is ironically both the happiest and most terrifying day of her life. I sound like David Attenborough. I'll do my best. Okay. On the the positive side, there is the wedding itself, in which the bride is the central attraction in a beautiful and inspiring ceremony, symbolizing her triumph in securing a male to provide for all of her needs for the rest of her life. On the negative side, there is the wedding night during which the bride must pay pay the piper, so to speak, by facing for the first time the terrible experience of sex. At this point, dear reader, let me concede one shocking truth. Some young women actually anticipate the wedding night ordeal with curiosity and pleasure. Beware such an attitude a selfish and sensual husband can easily take advantage of such a bride. One cardinal rule of marriage should never be forgotten. Give little, give seldom, and above all, give grudgingly. (laughs) I mean, this is quite funny. I mean, this this book is now in kind of joke shops, right? But it, it wasn't funny at the time. It was quite a serious article. Um, and it describes how the church had fallen into Gnosticism, the heresy of separating the body, which was bad, from the spirit, which is good, uh, in order, and we must avoid sex in order to be spiritual. Okay? And it's done a great deal of damage. Now, one thing I love about Aussie culture... I really do genuinely love this about us, is we are supportive and we are accepting of the individual and we encourage people to give stuff a go, make mistakes, uh, to to try um, to live an individual life. And there's some beautiful things about that. So in the 1950s, you know, in the 1800s, like what we read, I mean, the church was often very black and white and it actually came across as being very judgmental. Uh, Men and women, young men and women would make mistakes sexually 
And rather than being kind of something that we walked with them through towards healing, they were judged, they were shamed, they were excluded from community life for their sexual sins, uh, and they were encouraged to hide their shame and to keep their inner life, inner life or their, their hidden life a secret. And it was a dreadful thing, and there's you know, story after story about the pain that came from that type of Gnosticism. Uh, so rather than experience a grace-filled, life-giving community for broken people, the church uh, actually often was unloving and unforgiving, which is totally the opposite to how Jesus spent time with people who were in adultery, uh, women who were prostitutes, uh, broken tax collectors, sinners. I mean, Jesus did the opposite, and the church should have followed his methodology, his, his heart, <laughs> a better word. So I'm grateful for our society that doesn't judge or condemn people for their sexual mistakes, and I'm grateful for a God-honoring culture in the sense that uh, it's a grace-filled culture. Uh, And when our young people make mistakes, uh, when they fall sexually, when they are broken or hurt because of their decisions, I actually really know and hope and know that our community is one that will love them with grace and kindness rather than judgment and shame. I know that, and I think we can celebrate that. Uh, you know, we are a community that can walk through the painfulness of sin with grace and wisdom, uh, and we can hold uh, God's love out to people even as we lead them towards repentance and belief. Yeah? And I think that's a beautiful thing. But, but, if the church made the mistake of falling for ancient Gnosticism, the world has done exactly the same thing but they've reversed the Gnostic formula. We need to grasp this in Australian Western society. So ancient Gnosticism separated the soul and the body. They said that the body was bad and the spirit was good, separate, okay? In modern Gnosticism, the formula is just reversed. The body is good and the spirit is well, bad or irrelevant or you know, just not really a thing, all right? And because the body is good and that's all we have, therefore we should express it fully. Uh, we should express and enjoy our physical needs and our feelings in any and every way we can to live a whole life. Uh, so sex is physical and sex is fun. It's not spiritual. And we should follow our heart. We should give in to our desires We should use our bodies naturally with no consequences or uh, no consequences to our emotional selves, to our spiritual selves. Uh, There are no consequences to our future relationships. There are no consequences to our future children. Just do it. Sex is good. Enjoy. What's all the fuss about? But the soul and the body are not disconnected. The soul and the body are not disconnected. This is Gnosticism as well. Can you see it? What you do with the body has nothing to do with the soul. It's just reverse Gnosticism. And and like ancient Gnosticism, modern, secular, Aussie Gnosticism is a lie. And it destroys lives. So here is what modern Gnosticism sounds like in practice. Uh, It's the consequence of disconnecting the body and the material world from the soul and the spiritual world, okay? Now, you know this song. It's, not, it's a well-known song, Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. I kissed a girl just to try it. I hope my boyfriend don't mind it. It felt so wrong. It felt so right. 
Don't mean I'm in love tonight. I kissed a girl and I liked it. I liked it. No, I don't even know your name. Doesn't matter. You're my experimental game. Just human nature. So according to Katy Perry, the body has desires and we should give in to it. There's no consequence. Not even on my boyfriend. No consequences. It doesn't matter. It's just an experimental game. It's human nature. What else am I meant to do? What else am I meant to do? It's normal, natural, it's healthy. It's modern Gnosticism. The body and the heart and the emotions and the spirit are all disconnected. They're separate things. They don't interact. Enjoy sex with your body as much as you'd like, with anyone you'd like, no consequences. That is really our culture. Okay? Uh, Andrew Wilson says this, and he challenges this view. He says that if you think that sex is simply an enjoyable physical experience between consenting adults, like tandem skydiving, but without clothes, sounds kind of fun, uh, then God's restrictions on it won't make any sense at all. So according to Katy Perry, sex is like tandem skydiving without any clothes on. That's it. What we do with our body has nothing to do, no impact on our heart, on our mind, on our spirit, our soul, or our future. It's just natural. And the question is, is this true? And, and how does sex affect us differently? And the Bible suggests that actually this idea of modern Gnosticism could not be further from the truth. So Andrew Heard, a lecturer at Ridley College, he says this, in a hookup culture, we understand the danger of casual sex. We underestimate, I'm sorry. In a hookup culture, we underestimate the danger of casual sex. We underestimate how our sexual past will be present in our future relationships. I think it's really true. Whenever we have sex with a person, we couple with them. This is what the scriptures say. We create what the world might say are soul ties. We fuse our heart, our mind, and our spirit together in sexual intercourse with a person when we give them ourselves sexually, and that has consequences. See, the body and the soul are not disconnected. They're fused together. This is what the, the scriptures say. And every time we hook up with a different partner, whether it's a one-night stand or a long-term relationship with our boyfriend or girlfriend, it actually creates soul ties. I mean, Simon Holly, uh, a friend of mine, he, he says this. He's a pastor in the UK. He says that sex is like sticky tape for the soul. When you physically get up after having sex, you don't just walk away. You are spiritually tired. You have coupled yourself spiritually with another person. You leave a bit of yourself behind and they leave a bit of themselves behind. It's beautiful in marriage. It just doesn't work so well out of marriage. And like sticky tape on paper, every time you stick yourself to something and tear it off again, you become a little bit less sticky until there's not a lot of stick left for your lifelong marriage partner. So ungodly soul ties reduce the stickiness of our heart until we don't have much stickiness left for the one we're actually going to spend our life with. This is what, this is what the scriptures are saying. Uh, and for the Harry Potter fans in the room, here's my analogy. Uh, 
It's just a bad idea to split your soul in several different places and then put them into different things. Basically, hookup sex is actually a bit like this. It's actually um, splitting yourself into multiple parts and it actually makes you less sticky. And in the, honestly, this guy just looks really unhappy. So um, don't, try, don't try to be like him. It's not a good idea. All right. And I didn't name his name, you see? So I followed the book. All right. Um, I realize, I mean, all, all jokes aside, I realize this is a really sensitive and emotional topic. I mean, this is a hard topic to speak about, and I hope I can do it justice. Um, it's very emotional for all of us. I mean, our sexuality is such a deep part of who we are as humans, and God knows this. Uh, it's close to our heart, and it's important. And it's often painful. You know, we have painful emotional uh, experiences as a result of what people have done to us or what we've done to others or what we've done to ourselves. Uh, how we've used our body actually impacts us very deeply at a heart level, which is, which is why Katy Perry is just wrong, and we all know it. We all know it. Giving yourself away sexually to multiple partners does leave us emotionally and spiritually damaged. Um, but the good news is the gospel doesn't end there. I mean, the gospel is bigger than that, right? And the gospel says that God is bigger than our sin. He's bigger than our shame. He's bigger than our hurt and our brokenness. He's bigger than our past, which is wonderful. Jesus can break soul ties. He can heal bondages from the past. He can renew our mind and restore our spirit. The scriptures say he takes a heart of stone which has been broken and hurt uh, over many years of losing our own stickiness and, and he gives us a heart of flesh, one that can feel and love and bless and be, again, there's hope in Jesus. And every one of us is saved not by our good works but by grace. Every one of us is broken in some way and there's actually no perfect person even sexually but let's not believe the lie the gnostic lie of our culture that the body and the soul are disconnected because whatever we do imprints our heart and our soul so god made sex very good Uh, he made sex so powerful that it could bind two people together in holy matrimony in hard times and good times uh, for better or worse for richer or poorer uh, and that that powerhouse fuel could actually give two people who are so different, the ability to stay together for a lifetime and to raise a family and to bless a community. Sex is good, really good. It just doesn't work so well outside of marriage. So there's my, there's my first really important point, and I just wanted to spend time on that and to show us how, uh, how we've both gotten it wrong. Church and culture have both gotten the same thing wrong in the same way, but just flipped it. Uh, and yet Jesus has a positive view about sex. So what's one thing that stands out to you and what's one thing that just, just sits with you, whether it be positive or negative, and just sit in that space and then I want to open up the scriptures. Uh, so there's a really central Bible passage to help us understand what is sex. And it's 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. And I think it will show you how everything I've just talked about comes to life uh, in one small passage, even though you can see this in many passages throughout the Word of God. Uh, And in this passage, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a bunch of churches in a place called Corinth. Okay, The letter to the Corinthians is how we understand it. And there are a bunch of house churches, uh, and they're asking questions about, what is sex 
And Paul is responding to their letters to actually give them some answers. Now, Corinth, for context, was a port city. It was a city which was known as the sex center of the Roman Empire. Really important place. So basically, sailors and merchants and soldiers, they would dock in the harbor and they would walk across an isthmus into the city of Corinth and they would have sex with prostitutes. That's what Corinth was known for. So in Paul's day, there were thousands of prostitutes living in the temples of Corinth and people would worship the gods, the pantheon of gods, by having sex in the temple. And there's quite a different church service than we tend to have, I reckon. Um, but that's what they did in those days. All right, and, and obviously that required a whole lot of depravity. There was a massive child sex slave uh, trade and a whole lot of other things that dehumanized people in Corinth. And um, men and women would basically, even in the church, were starting to go to the temples and have sex with prostitutes. You'd have communion one night and then you'd go and have your kind of temple sex. Uh, it's a really strange situation. Um, and yet that is what Paul is talking about. And as crazy as this sounds to us, I actually want to show how basically we're the same culture today. Uh, in fact, I reckon Katy Perry's song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, would have been a hit in Corinth. Uh, don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. You're my experimental game. It's just human nature. I reckon it's very similar. So the Corinthians also believed that the body isn't who you are, that what you do with your body can't hurt the soul. They believed that, okay? They believed that sex was just like tandem skydiving but with no clothes on. In fact, they had a saying that basically said the same thing. Their slogan was, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, meaning that if you feel hungry, you should, have, you should eat. If you feel horny, you should have sex. It's just human nature. It's an experimental game. What's the stress, everyone? Don't worry. Okay, so it's the same culture. So let's read. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, the Corinthians had lots of slogans, okay? What we're reading here are slogans. We have them in our culture. We have heaps of them. And it was a way of them just understanding the world and passing on bits of information. So uh, in Australia, as I mentioned last fortnight, we have slogans too about sex. We have follow your heart, trust your feelings, do whatever feels right so long as it doesn't hurt anyone, right? We talked about that last fortnight. Uh, the Corinthians had very similar sayings and Paul is addressing them. So the Corinthians would say, I have the right to do anything and food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. So basically what their sayings were is that if it feels right, you know, if food and sex are natural urges, well then just do it. Go feast. It's all going to disappear anyway because it's a Gnostic worldview. So in response to these slogans, Paul has some pretty amazing responses. He says the opposite. He says to the first slogan, I have the right to do anything. But Paul answers, yes, but not everything is beneficial. So what Paul's saying is, actually, not everything is good for you or for others. Not everything will leave you feeling healthy and whole. Yeah, you can do it, but it's not good for you. Is it good 
to have sex with a prostitute? Is it good for the child sex slave to be involved in your feelings? Is it good for your marriage? Is it good for your community? Does it glorify and honor God for you to follow your feelings? Does that make sense? So Paul is challenging that. Uh, And the second slogan is really interesting. He says the food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But Paul says, but the body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the glory of God. So again, he's saying, yes, the body is made by God and it's really good. The body is great. Sex is great. But don't separate the body and the soul. The body is not made for sexual immorality and your love for God and the way you use your body is inseparable and actually your body is meant to glorify God. This is the message of Paul. Make sense? All right. So, so last, last fortnight, uh, I talked about the freedom narrative and we explored the sexual slogans that are linked with freedom in our culture. And I reckon if Paul was writing for the Aussie church, he probably would have written exactly the same thing. We just changed the slogans. So here's my interpretation for Aussie culture. Follow your heart and trust your feelings, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Let it go. Let it go. And be true to yourself, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say it's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend so long as you both agree. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And can you see how similar the Corinthian slogans and our slogans are, how similar the Corinthian culture and our culture is? Uh, It's disturbing and it's confronting. Uh, This was incredibly confronting, this letter, when it was written to the Corinthians. They didn't like it and they didn't like what Paul said, and neither do we. Um, But we need to wrestle with it because it's God's word. We'll pause in a sec. But I found a photo online and I liked it. Eat, drink and be married. Uh, And basically the Corinthian church was saying, eat, drink and have sex. It's human nature. Don't stress. But Paul says that what we do with our bodies is not disconnected from our spiritual lives. It has consequences on our heart and our soul. And outside of the marriage, it's what he calls sexual immorality. Okay, Let's continue Paul's argument. And Paul says this. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that the bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take a member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Just pause and think about those, those terms. It's really powerful and it's really relevant. So what Paul is saying is this, okay? Christian freedom does not mean we do whatever we want with our bodies, okay? And what he's doing is he's establishing a connection between our physical bodies and our spiritual selves. He's trying to refuse Gnostic ideas back to biblical ideas that the body and the soul are connected. So God raised Jesus from the dead and he will raise us also. What a strange kind of saying to to argue that you shouldn't have sex with a prostitute. That's not my first go-to, right? But it's brilliant, okay? You've got to understand what Paul is saying. Uh, 
You know, you know how um, Jesus rose from the dead, right? And it was a physical body. Remember Thomas? Thomas could touch Jesus and feel his wounds. So Jesus was a physical man risen from the dead. And the Christian belief is not that we go to heaven, some kind of ethereal spirit disconnected from the world around us. Like That's actually not the Christian belief. That's Star Wars, all right? It's called Buddhism, uh, that we leave our bodies and we end up ooh, up here. Like The Christian belief is that there will be a resurrection of the dead in the end times. Our physical bodies will come alive again. There'll be a judgment and that we will walk with Christ in a new earth, a new heaven, a new earth, right? Just like Jesus, he had a physical body, and therefore what happens to our bodies and what we do with our bodies has eternal consequences. Can you see the logic now? Because Jesus rose from the dead and had a physical body, the body and the soul are absolutely connected and will be connected into eternity, and so they, what we do with our bodies matter. That is his first point. And then he goes on to say something even more radical. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I unite them with a prostitute? I mean, should. No, okay, it's a pretty obvious answer. But what he's saying is that sex and marriage are symbolic, not just of the fact that the body and the soul are connected, but that Christ and his church are connected. And when we have sex, it actually represents Christ and his church. We're the body of Christ, right? We know this. And uh, Jesus is the bride, or the groom, and where the church is the bride. So there's this mystery, this spiritual reality that the oneness that happens in a, in a marriage relationship represents the oneness that God wants with humanity. Okay? And this is something you'll only understand if you believe that God is love and God is real. But for us who are Bible-believing apprentices of Jesus, uh, it's really powerful that somehow the sexual union between a man and a woman represents the union between God and his church. And therefore, the way we use our bodies has consequences. And he goes on to say that we were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. And whoever is united with another person is united in one flesh. Remember we talked about the two and the two and one flesh stuff, okay? And Michael Wood will talk about this in more detail, I think, next fortnight. But this is the central theme about sex, that in the, in the book of Genesis... Adam and Eve made love and the two became one flesh. They became soul tied together. This is the same concept. They became united, okay, spiritually as well as physically. Uh, and Jesus repeats exactly the same thing when asked about marriage. Did you not know that a man and woman are no longer two but are one flesh? So basically sexual intercourse combines and intertwines our heart, our soul, our spirit, with God, in relationship with God. And now that has a real foundation to how we understand marriage, which we'll talk about in another talk. But it's really different than the Gnostic idea of sex in the world. That's what I wanted you to get. We're nearly done. The very last bit he says, flee from sexual immorality. All sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that the bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, look, I can't go through all of this again. There's so much in this passage, but basically flee from sexual immorality. Don't just follow your heart and your, 
your natural feelings, don't follow your hormones, actually you have the power to flee from sexual immorality. You have the ability to choose whether or not you have sex with someone. It is not, it's not a necessity. And then he says that, that we, we, can, we can find holiness and health and resist sexual immorality because God bought us. He died for us and he bought our bodies for a price. And again, he's not trying to make us sad or repressed. Uh, he wants to free us from the slavery of having sex with anyone and everyone and splitting our soul in many pieces and ending up broken. He wants us whole. It is not a don't message. It is a message about life. And we need to grasp that. So, uh, just as a summary of, of the, the key messages, I mean, this is one talk, and I, I know it was going to be hard to squeeze in, but what is sex according to the Scriptures? Sex is good and it is created by God. Sex is not just physical but spiritual. Sex creates a spiritual union which the Scriptures call oneness, a connection of mind, body, and soul. It's for pleasure. God loves pleasure. He created the orgasm. Uh, it's for giving and receiving love. It's for having kids in a stable family. And we shouldn't underestimate that. Kids who grow up in stable families with a nuclear mum and dad are actually healthier than any other form. That's not to say we should judge any form of relationship, but it does say that God has created a template for our kids. Sex represents our union with God, and sex is ultimately about the glory of God. So let's pause. I know that's really, really heavy stuff. But it's really important, it's really important to grasp because God cares about our bodies and our souls. So just pause, how might you give glory to God in the way you use your body? And I just want to finish with something practical. Just have a minute. All right, I didn't want to leave with that heavy theological message without at least giving something practical. And this is not a question anyone in our culture asks, but it's a question we need to ask. How might we flee, as Paul says, from sexual sin? How might we flee practically as individuals or as married couples? It's not unique to non-married people. And here are a few ideas just to finish. I'll go through really quick. Uh, the first one is don't awaken love until it so desires. And this is particularly for young people I'm speaking to in this situation. The Song of Songs, which, remember, celebrates sex, you know, those gazelles, okay? It celebrates lovemaking, but it says again and again as a warning, don't awaken love until it so desires. Uh, basically, he's saying to young people, don't be in a rush to awaken love until you're ready. So my kids have asked me, you know, Dad... How old do I need to be until I start dating? Really good question. My response has been, when you're old enough to start moving towards marriage. It's a really unpopular answer, but dating's not the aim. We're not, we're not heading to dating. You know, why awaken love when you're 12 or 14 or 16 years old, when you're not emotionally or spiritually or mentally ready to move towards a lifelong covenant? Like, why have your heart broken again and again 
with a string of boyfriend and girlfriend relationships when you actually aren't ready to awaken love. And so by the time you leave school, you're already shattered. Why do that to yourself? It's not necessary. It's not mandatory, even though our culture says it is. Yeah? So why not instead spend your young age becoming the type of person who is secure in their love for themselves and their love for God and their love for others? You don't have to date to love. You don't have to date to love. You can become the type of person who has the character and security who then has the ability to find someone who is worth marrying because you are a person who can be a a person who can love for a lifetime because you've become that person. Does that make sense? People who are broken tend to date broken people. People who are less broken tend to find non-broken people. We see who we are. So become the person that God wants you to be. Practice loving friends deeply. I learned this when I was young before I was married. You know, serving community. Learn to love. Learn to go on adventures. Have really crazy adventures that you can't do when you've got kids. <laughs> when you're a parent with kids, you can't do some of the stuff when you, you can when you're single. So have adventures. Experience passionate adventures. Have, have fun in your life. You can do so much. You don't have to date in school, you don't have to date before you are ready to awaken love and move towards a covenant relationship. And it will actually prepare you. So that's my first message. The second one is give your body the joy it needs. Very different message, okay? So the, the, remember, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we care for it, we care for our soul. Because my body is me, right? It's not like... I'm not really, you know, you can't say, oh, you only love me for my body. Well, actually, my body is me as well as my soul and my mind like this all interconnected. So the times when I have been most vulnerable to sexual sin, when I've struggled most with uh, lust or with looking at, wanting to look at, you know, something online or wanting to uh, chase another woman. I mean, when I've struggled with, with that type of stuff, it has been generally when I'm physically run down when I'm emotionally exhausted, like there is a connection between my sexual desires and my body, which makes sense because they're interconnected, yeah? We're not Gnostics. And so if we're sleep-deprived, if we're lacking physical activity, if we're eating badly, uh, then we're more likely to want to cry out for comfort in the wrong places. Um, the same with alcohol and everything else. You know, when we're tired, run down, our body finds comfort in other things. So basically, one way to flee from sexual sin is to look after yourself physically and care for yourself emotionally. Eat well, sleep well, enjoy Sabbath rest, connect with friends in person, and, and a healthier lifestyle will lead to sexual restraint. The third is set healthy boundaries emotionally and physically, uh, particularly around people you might become sexually attracted to. Now, when I was dating Kylie, we put boundaries in place to help us flee from sexual sin as we were dating and moving towards, well, then eventually moving towards marriage. Uh, we didn't hang out in each other's bedrooms. We almost always tried to avoid that. I was almost always home before midnight because I found that after 12 o'clock, you know, just with Kylie alone in a house, it's just when it was harder to resist sexual temptation. Uh, we didn't watch really sexual movies together. We didn't hang out alone all the time. We did some life in community, you know, some just some healthy life-giving boundaries. Not boundaries to restrict your love, but boundaries to make your love even more fruitful. 
Uh, and the idea is the same for married people. It's not exclusive to singles. Uh, I think we need emotional boundaries in relationships. It's beautiful and important to build relationships with uh, men and women, uh, even as married people. But uh, generally, as a general rule, don't keep secrets from your partner. Uh, don't spend time in intimate places physically, emotionally, and spiritually with someone that you could get entangled with sexually. And be careful about how much physical, physical affection you give one another and be aware that if desire is creeping in to you or others, just be careful of the habits that you form. Uh, again, not to restrict you, but to be wise. We want marriages to be healthy and whole and we want communities to be healthy and whole. Okay, two more and then we're done. Bring to the light what is dark. All of us have regrets. All adults have regrets and mistakes and struggles in our life. Don't keep them secret. Don't keep them secret. A good rule is if you struggle with, if you have a struggle or a sin in your life and uh, you cannot share that with anyone outside of, let's say, your family or your spouse, that's where the devil can get a stranglehold and where sin can become rooted into shame and condemnation. So in the book of James 5 to 16, uh, we read, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So if we're struggling with personal sin like addiction or drug abuse or pornography or self-hatred or gambling, I mean, whatever it is, bring these to the light uh, and talk to someone about it so that you can be prayed for and healed. When I made some big mistakes as a young man, I held guilt and shame and self-hatred and brokenness for a long time and I ended up confessing sharing my brokenness, sharing my shame with an old man that happened to ask a question that was, and he looked kind and I gave it a go and he forgave me in Jesus' name and it, it just healed me. Like it, it healed me and it gave me a new start. And that was when I saw the power of confession. It was amazing. And I'd done everything I could to overcome my shame except for telling someone and accepting that it was sin. It was beautiful. It's the same relationally. You know, I would say keep your relationships in the light. If there are struggles or sins in your relationship, share them. I mean, I've, I've had really sad experiences with friends I care about deeply who over time have come to me and said, hey, Dan, I'm, just, I'm getting a divorce. And I'm like, I didn't even know that they were struggling. And I did life with them all the time. It's happened on a number of occasions. And I remember one girl, the first girl actually, the, where this happened, I said to her, why didn't you tell me? And... And she said, I was just too ashamed and I didn't want to tell anyone. And, and I just like, if only I knew we could have been there for you and maybe it wouldn't have gotten to the point where it was like unsavable. Does that make sense? So um, Kylie and I, I mean, it's really hard in marriage, but Kylie and I try to be open with our struggles and sins as well. We went to marriage counseling a few years ago because we were missing each other emotionally and sexually and spiritually and fighting lots. Um, and when we went to marriage counselling, we, we went and we, we told our leadership team, we told our missional community, and we said, please pray for us and help us through this. And through that process, we were healed. It's beautiful. You know? So again, James is right. Um, if you're struggling with something in the dark, bring it to the light, and God can heal you. Okay. The last one, and it's related, is seek healing from bondages uh, and soul ties. So Jesus is bigger than our sexual sin. He's bigger than our relational difficulties and our struggles. He is the Elohim of Elohim, the God of gods, 
the Lord of Lords. We've talked about this. He can overcome sin. He can overcome death. He can overcome shame and guilt and pain. He can overcome our past and he can overcome and restore our shattered lives. This is the gospel. This is the promise of the gospel. So if you're in bondage to addictions and thought patterns and shame and hurt from the past, confess and forgive and allow God to pray, to bless you through intercessory prayer. We have people who can pray in a very sensitive and a very wise way to break bondages and shame and soul ties. And I have seen, uh, I won't ask you, but I have seen many people transformed. I know in this room, people's lives have been transformed by God healing those things and giving you a new start. Okay, so uh, if, if you're feeling like you are stuck spiritually because of the past, speak to me or Kylie or uh, Kaz or one of our missional community people who have training and experience and can guide you towards um, a whole life spiritually. So that's, that's my last bit. And I do want you to just to think, is there one thing that God is putting on your heart? You know, if, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, is there one thing that stands out? Uh, and if it's painful, I'm sorry for that. But I do not want you to condemn. This is not a spot for con- condemnation. Condemnation is when you say, I hate myself or God hates me or you curse yourself. That is not of God. Uh, conviction is where you say, yes, I have sinned and this is my sin and I want to confess this specific thing. So look, just leave this for a minute and just think, is God saying anything to you? Is there anything you need to do? And then we're going to have communion. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. I thank you so much that you are here. I thank you that you love us enough to bless us with uh, a sexual life and even in the brokenness and struggles as single and married people, uh, you show us a future and you help us to love you and to be loved by you even in our brokenness. So Holy Spirit, come. So as we have communion, I just wanted to share this scripture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life to the full. This is Jesus. This is a promise. You know, the world tells us that we find freedom and happiness by giving ourselves over to the darkness, to the devil, by embracing sex and death, mofo style. That's the message of our culture. But the opposite is true, that that Jesus isn't the one who steals. He has come to give us life and wholeness and health and life to the full. But his way is narrow. It's not wide. His way is painful, not easy. We need to lose our life to find it. But he has a path for us. And when we fall off that path, he always guides us back because of his cross. So, so the message tonight has been that our mind and our body and our soul and our spirit are not disconnected, but they're connected. That God has bought us at a price. We can trust and cling to Jesus and he will make us whole. And as we have communion, I just want to reinforce and and I suppose celebrate that, that intimacy comes from the Father. Our longing for love comes from Jesus. This is not something that's an add on to our life. It's not like our sexuality and our wrestles isn't something that is just human. Um, this, this represents the fact that God went to the cross because he longed for our love. 
God went to the cross because he wanted intimacy with us. He wants oneness with us. He is so desperate to be in partnership and communion with us that he gave everything in order to live with us. It's what we read in the Pauline passage. It's what we read that Christ gave his life. He broke his body so that we could have oneness once more with Jesus. In my worst times, when I was full of shame and brokenness, the one thing that kept me going with God was I went every week and I broke this bread. I ate this bread with a community and I said again, God, I'm stuffing up and I'm failing. And he forgave me every week, week after week, until I experienced his wholeness. This is for anyone. It's for sinners. And it brings us back into union with the one who wants oneness with us. So this is an invite. It's an invite to forgiveness and wholeness, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And when we take the cup and when we take the bread and we we can come to God and we can experience closeness once more, just as we are, no matter who we are and no matter where we are. So Father God, thank you that you died and rose again so that we could long for your love and so that we could experience your love. And I pray, Father, that as we wrestle with what it means to be sexual and broken, uh, what it means to long for intimacy and closeness with one another and with you, I pray that you will help us to know your great love and that you will forgive us and heal us once more. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, follow us on Podbean or iTunes or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram at Together Church Hobart.